Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com slash busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I remember the legendary James Harris. That's right. Kamala passing away at the age of just 70 years old. We go into his career. We talk about some of the greatest moments, some of the greatest matches. And also we have two amazing guests to talk about Kamala. And that is first our very own Mark Henry to talk about how influenced he was by the career of Kamala and then we talked to another WWE Hall of Famer and Jerry the King Lawler how he developed and helped his personality and character in the ring we do that all right now on the Busted Open podcast James Harris also known as the Ugandan giant Kamala passed away yesterday afternoon at the age of 70 years old and I know, Bully, that especially for the Busted Open Nation, that's going to be a big topic for today. But once again, a legend lost at the age of only 70 years old. God bless you, Mr. James Harris. Rest in peace. Um, and thank you for all that you ever did in the wrestling business. And thank you for making me believe. You know, Dave, when, uh, you know, when he first came into the WWF, I don't know, I think it was around maybe late 83, early 84, right around that time. Kamala was one of those guys that, as a young wrestling fan, I don't know, I was probably 12 or 13. Man, the guy scared me. I I just didn't know what was going on. You know, he had that faraway look in his eye. He needed his handlers to control him. He, uh, the way he worked, the way he moved, but most, most of all, his facial expressions. He... He was able to make me believe and make me fear him as a young wrestling fan. So I, you know, b- you know, being where I am now in the wrestling business and being able to appreciate, uh, the, you know, Mr. Harris for his work as Kamala and to see how he was able to intimidate me, make me afraid and entertain me all at the same time. I will always have an appreciation for him. And today's show, as we always do, <clears throat> as we always do. We'll celebrate his life, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have some people call in. We'll tell some stories. Uh, we'll talk about some of our favorite Kamala matches, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, do it, we'll do justice by him. 
Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned about coming to the WWF, and most people will probably, especially our listeners, will probably remember uh, Kamala and the feud that he had with Hulk Hogan, and, and, and he had a couple of runs in the WWF. But, you know, he started... And, and listen, he didn't start off as Kamala. I mean, James Harris was Sugar Bear Harris for the first few years of his career. And then it was in Memphis. And, and we're going to have Jerry Lawler joining us later on in the show. Bully, he was very instrumental in the character of Kamala. And then when James Harris went to Memphis, he completely reconstructed his, his character, his personality, and he became Kamala with an I and then later Kamala with an A. But um, that's when we got this vignette. And you talk about fear and being scared. I remember that they did this vignette of Kamala, of introducing this character and personality. And even though it was in Memphis, it was shown throughout the territories of him going through, you know, you know the, the high grass. And they just kept saying, you know, at 300 pounds, Kamala. Standing at six foot three, Kamala. And it was this great vignette. And scared the hell out of me. And what a way to, like, introduce it. We talk about it now with a lot of personalities and characters in pro wrestling. But the power of just, like, a 90-second vignette did wonders in having you buy in to this character before he even stepped into the ring and wrestled. Um, as a kid, the two characters that I remember the WWF introducing really well via vignettes was Kamala and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I knew everything I needed to know about these two characters before they ever had their first match. And when you see the Kamala vignettes, and I actually watched one or two of them last night, you're reminded of how the WWE used to do things really, really right back in the day. And, you know, we also bought in a hell of a lot more. But when you see these vignettes, about Kamala, the, U the Ugandan giant, the Ugandan headhunter, and this giant man, you know, and he was very athletic also. So by the time you, that first match happened, Dave, you knew this guy. You were emotionally invested in this guy. You were afraid of this guy. Um, I, I always enjoyed everything they, that he did. I think his most memorable moment for me, Dave, was that facial expression when The Undertaker sat up. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. Like, yes. It, 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 if you watch it now, it's such an over-the-top, almost goofy facial, facial expression, but it worked because that was Kamala selling fear for the first time. Fear and shock, and like he could not believe it because nobody got up after Kamala, you know, did whatever he did to you, dropped the big, you know, butt on you or whatever, whatever it was, but The Undertaker sat up and... Um, those are just some of the more memorable things to me. As you said, the matches with Hogan. And um, from what I understand, the things that I read, I know Hulk took, took to social media also. Hulk really enjoyed working with Kamala because Kamala knew what good, good business was. Yeah, and, and Kamala, you mentioned about fear, like Kamala starting in Memphis and going to Mid-South Wrestling and World Class Wrestling. He was this feared heel 
Uh, and then he went to the WWF and he became more of a cartoon character. Uh, and then he had a feud with George the Animal Steel. You talk about two over the top, you know, kind of cartoonish characters in George the Animal Steel and Kamala back in 1986. But, you know, Kamala was able to do that. He could be this hated, feared heel, but then he can be that WWF, you know, family friend, uh, friendly cartoon type character. And, and Kamala, to me, Bully, when you talk about some of the all-time heels, and we've done shows on it, you know, one of those heels that you fear, you know, you bring up the name Kamala, but he's very, very underrated. You know, he's not, I believe he's not a WWE Hall of Famer, though he is in a, a, a couple of, of pro wrestling Hall of Fames. But, you know, unfortunately, like you said, Bully, like when you find found out about his passing yesterday, I think a lot of people went to YouTube or went to the WWE Network and started reliving a lot of those memories that and matches that they probably haven't watched in 15, 20, and 25 years. I know I did that. And I actually posted something on social media yesterday, Bully, of, you know, we talked about this before, WrestleMania 3. Everybody thought that H Hogan sla uh, slammed Andre for the first time. But back in 1983, Kamala slammed Andre the Giant. So, you know, uh, a lot of things and a lot of moments and a lot of matches, I'm sure a lot of people went to YouTube and the network to re rel relive a lot of those memories and matches yesterday. You know how it's interesting, Dave, how the WWE can make you remember or they can make you forget. You just talked about how Kamala slammed Andre the Giant. It seems like more and more people actually slammed Andre the Giant before Hulk Hogan ever slammed Andre the Giant. But the WWE was able, because of the territories back then, they, through their storytelling, they were able to make you believe that that body slam was the first time that it ever happened. And that's the magic of pro wrestling. That's the smoke and mirrors of pro wrestling. And if I know Dreamer, uh, who, uh, who posted on social media this morning on the old Twitter machine. He's got a, a gif of Kamala slamming Andre and Kamala slams Andre with ease. Yes. With ease. Now, I know Andre was lighter back then, and Andre was probably able to uh, manipulate his own body weight better then, but Kamala just... I, I, I'm watching this. I'm breaking this move down, knowing, you know, like the art of the body slamming. Kamala just picks him up, Dave. He just picks him straight up and slams yeah. him. That is a strong, strong man. And, and the, here's the other thing, too, Bully, because you're right. There's a lot of, you know, footage of, of, you know, Harley Race and Hogan even before 87 slamming Andre the Giant. And some of that stuff happened to Japan. Some of that stuff happened on house shows. That body slam of Kamala slamming Andre that that happened on TV I was on TV you know so like you know that was on Mid-South Wrestling that was at the boys club boy you know the boys club you know where Mid-South did all their weekly TV shows so that wasn't like it was at some house show that was on TV in 1983 and you know just four years prior to that big Wrestlemania 3 matchup and Bully you're right we talk so much you say it all the time like hey if the WWE wants you to forget they'll make you forget if they want you to remember they'll make you remember Th that's not new with the WWE, they've been doing that for decades. So it's not something that just started happening now. It's one of their oldest tricks, but it keeps working. You know, it's like sawing the lady in half or, or pull, pulling the bunny out of a hat. 
it works. It's a go-to, and, and they were they were masters of it uh, back then. Obviously, you can never pull that off these days because with you know YouTube and social media, everybody wants to be the first one to expose you know expose the work. But uh, another thing that that I loved about Kamala was, you know, Dave, back in the day, if you had like a crazy man as as a wrestler, crazy heel who couldn't be controlled, what did he have? He had a manager, right? Yeah. And the manager would speak for this crazy wrestler. Kamala, not only did he need a manager, he needed a handler. I know. He had, <laughs> he had Friday and kimchi. <laughs> so yeah, that, it, that just added to it. It's like, you know, as a kid, I'm like, wow, one guy can't control him. They need two. He must be scary. Grill up the wings, crack open a cold one, and enjoy the return of sports with Barstool Radio. Thank God sports are back. The one thing that I will miss about sports when they come back, sleep. Hang out with Big Cat, PFT commenter, KFC, Willie Cologne, and get your winning picks with the return of Picks Central. We're going to have sports. I'm happy and it's going down. We're back. Listen to Barstool Radio all day long on Channel 85 and at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. After hearing about the passing of Kamala yesterday afternoon at the age of 70, I decided to do my power rankings a little bit differently. And I have my my top five moments in the career of Kamala. These are my personal opinion. Obviously, I would love to hear from the Busted Open Nation as well. Also, you can tweet at us at Busted Open Radio, at BullyRay5150, and at David LaGreca1. But these are my top five Kamala moments. And, and most of them are matches. And you'll probably probably see a little bit of a trend when it comes to my Kamala moments because I was a much bigger fan of Kamala early on in his career during the territories of Mid-South and World Class and Memphis because that's really when he was kind of a top guy in every, ter- every territory he was in and he was you, you were afraid of Kamala. He was a top heel. In the WWE, he was more cartoonish. And, I, and listen, that's fine. Like, I know a lot of people have more memories of him within the WWF slash WWE, but mine's a little bit different. I'll start at number five. And this is really where you see the differences of Kamala early in his career and later in his career. My, my number five moment is October of 1983 when he challenged Harley Race for the NWA Championship at the Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas. This is when he was with World Class Championship Wrestling and one hell of a match between him and Harley Race for that NWA Championship. At number four, this is going to November 24th, 1986 and this is when he was in the WWF and it's a crazy match it's on the network I also believe it's on YouTube and that's Kamala against George the Animal Steel and it's and it's crazy in the way where like they almost mirror one another the way they're staring at each other in the movements that they're making and it's definitely a cartoonist match but it doesn't end that way because actually and this is the only time and George the Animal Steel had some great moments at Madison Square Garden. The only time that George Steele was stretchered out of Madison Square Garden, Kamala attacked him, did the splash, and George the Animal Steel actually had to be stretchered away from the ring to the back. That's my number four. At number three, we talked about it earlier in the show, is the debut of Kamala in Memphis, and it's that vignette that they put out supposedly, and we can ask Jerry Lawler about this when he joins us at 11 a.m. 
bully is supposedly this this was filmed in Jerry Jarrett's backyard. So I'm really interested to hear if that's true or not. But at number three is that debut vignette of Kamala. At number two, and this is going back to June of 1982, is where Kamala beat Jerry the King Lawler for the Southern Heavyweight Championship. And again, you know, something that Kamala really didn't do throughout his career is hold championship gold. But not only did he do that in 1982, but he beat Jerry Lawler for the championship. And at number one is something that you talked about, Bully, is February 12th, 1983 in Mid-South. On TV, he slammed Andre the Giant. So those are my top five Kamala moments and matches for my power rankings this week, Bully. Good job with that. Uh, I remember the George the Animal Steel Kamala match. Um, me and the Blue Meanie tried to replicate that moment by <laughs> mirroring each other. That was our little tribute to them. Um, but yeah, all good stuff. And like I said, the uh, you know uh, everything that Kamala did in the, the WWF, I enjoyed. But I think much like you, the stuff that he did outside of WWF um, w- was a little bit more to to my liking, also because it, it it almost seems scarier. Yeah, and, and um, you know, when we usually when we talk about a lot of history in pro wrestling, Tommy loves uh, to join us. Tommy couldn't join us today. Bully is having major, major uh, issues with his power. A lot of people here on the Northeast are dealing with that uh, th- this last week. So he has no power, but he made sure to send Gabby his top five uh, power rankings for. Co- so you want me to do Tommy's? Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. So here, here we go. All right. At number five, his leapfrog super kick, not knowing how to pin guys and going to the top rope and splashing people. people. That's number five. Uh, at number four is working Hogan at Madison Square Garden. At number three, getting belly to belly by Magnum TA in the, in the cage at the Great American Bash. That's a great one. That's number three. At number two, getting fireballed by Jerry the King Lawler. We can talk about that when we have Jerry Lawler. And at number one, the same with my number one, is slamming Andre the Giant. And, and again, the WWF slash WWE in 1987 saying that was the first time that Andre the Giant ever got slammed. And there's probably about eight or nine wrestlers that slammed Andre the Giant before Hogan did it in 1987. But you know what? The WWE loves to rewrite history. And they did that back in 1987. And to the point, Bully, that most people would say the greatest WrestleMania moment of all time would be Hogan slamming Andre for the first time in front of 93,000 people at the Silverdome and uh, not being the first time that Andre the Giant was ever slammed. Though people will say that is, and and really, Bully, if that's not their number one, that's definitely top five. And most people will say, you know, top 10 moment in pro wrestling history would be that moment. It's a false moment because it happened many times before. Case in point, Kamala doing it in 1983 on TV. It wasn't even on TV. He did it, Bully. And Kamala never smacked his thigh when he hit his super kick, right? No. <laughs> there was no uh, smacking of the, th- of the thigh. So, 
Um, um, but, but but you know what was great, Dave? I usually said when he used to hit the super kick, and then he would be like like Tommy said, he'd be looking around like, what do I do? What do I do? And then Friday and Kimchi would be telling him, go to the top rope, go to the top rope, and then Kamala would climb out. It was so. Little things like that meant so much because this Ugandan giant, like I said, all he knows how to do is hurt people, but then he had to be reminded to pin the guy. Stuff like that, to me, was always entertaining. And you know what? Like, again, like if he's really the Ugandan warrior and they just grabbed him, you know, to beat out Jerry Lawler or they brought him the world class to take out the Von Erics, well, then, you know what? He really doesn't know a lot about professional wrestling. So... You know, he's not a trained professional, so he, he, didn't, he didn't know what to do. What do I do? You know, so that it makes perfect sense, right? Absolutely. I hope when Tommy comes on on Wednesday, he doesn't have his shirt on and he has two stars painted on his boobs and a moon on his belly. Listen, I, I, I think that would be fantastic. But again, it's, it's, a, it's about buying in. And I had no problem buying in to Kamala. I had no problem buying into him. But you know what? Like we blame like people wanting to like expose the business. I don't know if you could really do that in 2020. Our world has become so small with the with the internet. Like we we know about everything in the world that's going on. So I really don't know if you would be able to do that or not. Again, something that happened in the past bully that again when you lose somebody like Kamala like, it's just a, a world from our past that we will never get back again. Do you want it back again? Would you be allowed to... I'm sorry. Would you, would you be able to buy into it again? No. I don't I think, think you would. I, I, think, I think the minute we would the minute we would get anything that we were interested in and that we could buy into, people would be on, you know, hell-bent of exposing and showing how this not it's not real. It's like, oh, wow, we got this new character, Kamala, from the jungles of Uganda, and he can't be controlled, and he's a madman. And then somebody's just going to post on social media, oh, the guy's name is James Harris. James Harris. He lives at such and such address in Mississippi and blah, 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 and he, and he likes long walks on the beach and poetry. It, it, they, they kill it for you too quickly. Yeah, and Bully, you mentioned George the Animal Steel before. Like, George the Animal Steel, he was, he was a professor. He was a teacher. Like, so, you know, he had a class of kids that he went to. You know, at the beginning of his, for most of his career, he would only wrestle on the weekends and holidays because during the week, he, he was a teacher. And somehow, some way, that was never exposed. And kind of like Kamala, Georgie Animal Steel, like he spoke like early on in his career, like he spoke on the microphone. He was just a lunatic, but he spoke on the microphone. Then he became more of a cartoonish character in the WWF. Like Kamala was this major heel, but he became a bit of a cartoonish character in the WWF. But you're right. Even like George E.M., that would be exposed immediately. And not even so much from the pro wrestling community, because now we have TMZ. So, like, they, their job is to expose. You wouldn't have Kiss in 2020, because the first time that G Gene Simmons would leave a restaurant, TMZ would be outside that restaurant taking a picture. We, we've kind of lost our innocence in a lot of ways, you know, because we do. And this is not taking anything away from TMZ. Listen, they've been very successful because there's an audience that wants to know these things. 
But there was no TMZ back then because we kind of liked to be fooled. We wanted to be fooled. We we kind of liked the magic of seeing where this would go. I, you know what? Honestly, bully. As a kid, I didn't want to know what 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 they look like. I liked the mystique of not knowing what they look like. That was fun for me. And then because once it's exposed, you can never go back. Once Kiss. Once there was pictures out there of what they look like, they, there was no, nothing for them to do but just to remove the makeup themselves. They couldn't keep that going. So once the magic is gone, it's completely gone. And in pro wrestling, once the magic's gone, it's completely gone. So the only thing you can hang your hat on is the realism. So that's where we have to go. And maybe that's what retribution is. Maybe that's where they're going to go bully with Sammy Guevara and, and Matt Hardy. Maybe now knowing that, listen, Sammy Guevara hit Matt Hardy for real and he is, you know, was cracked open and has, you know, and, and, and has stitches on his head and he's permanently scarred on his forehead. Maybe that's the way that they need to go in AEW as well. If, if that's me, I am going to take that and turn it into a blurring of the line story. And I would have Sammy Guevara go out there and go, I know exactly how to swing a chair. I know the proper way to do it in the scope of pro wrestling. I threw it at you the way I did because I wanted to hurt you. Now people are going, what? You see how you play? You see how I just played that, Dave? Sammy's like, yeah, I understand. You hold a chair like this and you do it like this and you hit the guy over the head and this is how it's supposed to work. Get it? No, I just picked it up and I winged it at your head, Matt, because I was hoping that the point of the chair maybe caught you in the eye because I think you're a piece of garbage, Matt, and I don't want you around here. I did it on purpose. I was shooting on you, Matt. I I, I, I was being unsafe. But I was doing it on purpose. I don't care. Find me. Actually, find me twice because I'm most likely going to do it again. Yeah. You got people sitting back and going, wait, he meant to, you meant to hurt Matt Hardy on purpose? Yes. Wow. Now you have people scratching their heads. Hey, everyone. This is Nicole Auerbach, and I want to invite you inside the Coaches Clubhouse, a brand new podcast from SiriusXM that examines what drives coaches on and off the sidelines. We talk to coaches from all different sports and all walks of life about their passion for the profession, their mentors, philosophies, and stories, and also what they care about when they're outside the spotlight. We'll give you a unique perspective on some of the greats in their profession, from Olympic coaches to Super Bowl champions and everyone in between. New episodes out every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Yesterday afternoon, word came down that one of the legends at the age of 70 years old, uh, James Harris, also known as the legendary Kamala, passed away. And we're going to have Jerry Lawler join us at 11 a.m. Very instrumental in the career of Kamala, but somebody to me that's one of the most underrated heels of all time, Mark, is the the great Kamala. Underrated characters, period. There's, there's not many of them where they weren't Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant, different animal. But when you mention the, the 80s and you say Hulk Hogan and you say uh, Big John Studd and Ricky Steamboat, you have to, you have to put Kamala in there. You, you have to mention his name as a character. Not, not, not just like the doinks and the George Animal Steel, like... 
even though Kamala worked Jake the Snake, right? He he worked all of those guys. The reason that I sell the way that I sell is because of Kamala. Right. And you see the shaking and the stuff. That was that was not me. That wasn't me. I was told to adapt to film study and it's not stealing. You are giving life to somebody else's work. And that's the way that I, I perceived it and the way, way I, I, I live by it. And um, I don't think that there was a better selling big man in pro wrestling history than Kamala. You watched matches with him and Pat Patterson and matches with him and, and Jake the Snake Roberts and Jerry Lawler and Hulk Hogan. The way that he sold made you feel pain. And I, I you know, I, I was able to speak to, to James. Um, the Cauliflower Alley Club helped him a lot. Shout out to Chris Jericho, man. He, he talked about Chris Jericho like Chris was a member of his family. What did Chris do for him? He was, he was having some trouble paying for his mortgage. And Chris, I think, either paid it all off or gave him a, a substantial wow. amount of money to go towards the house. And I was like, <laughs> Chris just never stops being Chris. He great in the ring, and he's great outside the ring. And I, I did my part, but I don't, I don't pat myself on the back for that stuff. I feel like we're supposed to do that. And... James had his issues with how he was respected in the business. And I had to shed some light on his situation. He was in a time, unfortunately, where the black dude was trivialized, didn't get paid the same as the other counterparts that he wrestled against. And thus, uh, him not making the money that other wrestlers made. It was a time period thing. We're going through it in this world right now, still with issues that were happening in the 60s, actually all the way back until Virtual Small, the first African-American wrestler in the early 1900s. So that being said, Mark Henry getting the largest guaranteed contract in the history of pro wrestling at that time, and the first guaranteed contract showed evolution. It showed that we've come a long way, baby. And he, he praised me for that, but I said that was a byproduct of the work that you put in for me, and I appreciate you. And I copied all your shit. <laughs> and I should be giving you a percentage because if it wasn't for your selling, I would not sell like I sold. And he just busted out laughing. He said, hey, stealing is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he it's, made me laugh. But when he died, I cried yesterday like he was a member of my family. That's the love in wrestling. That's the respect we all have. We all mourn him. And uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the beginning of the show. I hope there was a tone 
of the bell for him. Yeah, we did a 10-bell salute, Mark. I, I appreciate that. And the fans appreciate that. Anytime any one of our soldiers died, we want to lift them up. And I feel like this show, more than any other show, does that. Mark, you said you watched a lot of uh, of his stuff. Who told you to watch him, or did you just decide you were going to watch him on your own? Uh, I had two people that, <laughs> it was funny, I, th- I thought it was kind of like, this has got to be a word. Somebody's telling them to say this. The first one was Tom Pritchard, one of the greatest wrestling trainers ever. And then I got to Canada. And Leo Burke, another historically great coach. I, I'm a byproduct of my coaching in pro wrestling. I had Tom Pritchard, <laughs> Rip Rogers, and Leo Burke. <laughs> I couldn't help but succeed. Yeah. And the, the thing about it is I had an open mind. I did what I was told. A lot of these guys come into business now and they watch – Randy Orton and they watch Chris Jericho and think, oh, I'm going to just, you know, do like they did. They developed too. Hell, Randy Orton had a match against uh, Kamala. I I remember, uh, uh, shoot, I guess it was 2005. I just came back from an injury in 2004, and I was in the locker room jealous that Umaga was going to have a match with Kamala because I was like, man, I, I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> I wasn't even working. I was sitting in the locker room. I was like, hell, I do the job for Kamala. That's humbling yourself. And a lot of these guys don't have that no more. I just wanted to get on the show. Mm-hmm. Do, do me. Yep. Pin me, pin me, pay me. I'm, I'm in for it. I'll look at the lights. <laughs> I don't care. I just wanted to be in the, in, in the same ring with greatness. And if you guys out there hear my voice and you don't understand and embody what I'm saying, get out of the business. We don't need you. We need somebody else that can help make this business better and willing to sacrifice and humble for it. Be humble for it. That's what, that's what I want. Got on my soapbox. Damn it, I didn't want to do that. Summer is time to start prepping for your fantasy football draft with Fantasy Sports Radio. Touchdown, Atlanta! And this year, it's also time for fantasy baseball players to do the same. It is gone! Listen for expert advice to dominate your fantasy football and baseball drafts. Will Garrett Cole be the first pitcher taken? 12 strikeouts for Garrett Cole. Now celebrating our 10th year, bringing you the best fantasy sports radio on Sirius 210 XM87. WWE Hall of Famer, Jerry the King Lawler, who joins us now. Sir, thank you so much for the time this morning. My pleasure. Good morning, guys. I wish it were under different circumstances, of course. King, always a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, buddy. How are you, buddy? Good. Thank you. King, do you, re- do you remember the, the first time that you, that you met James? Do you remember the first time you met Kamala? And can you kind of walk us through what that was like and your interactions with him and, you know, how, how your friendship came to pass? Yeah. Um, we were, it was a Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum back in the early 80s. And um, as typical, how, how you know how the guys do, you have uh, uh, curtain sellouts or whatever. We were kind of watching the earlier matches back to the, 
through the back curtain there and I, I'm standing there watching one of the early matches and um, I get a tap on my shoulder and uh, I turn around and immediately look up because here's this giant of a guy, a really young, really young guy. Uh, and it's James Harris and his first words out of his mouth. He said, Mr. Lawler, my name is Sugar Bear Harris and uh, I'd like to wrestle for you guys. And I, I looked at him, I looked up and down and just, I, I don't know what came into my mind other than the fact that, I mean, this guy looks like what we love to have there in Memphis. I mean, he just looked like a huge monster that we can definitely do something with, right? And so I, I looked at him and I said, James, uh, has anybody else seen you here tonight? And he said, no, sir. And I said, all right, here, I want you to leave and right now and we're going to call you and tomorrow we want you to meet uh, we want you to meet me and Jerry Jarrett in Nashville and we're gonna we're gonna come up with something for you and uh, so that's that's the that's the first meeting I had with him and the next day he drove to well actually up in Hendersonville Tennessee Jerry Jarrett's house and um, you, you you know bully about the way things were back in the day I mean when you tried to we we were known down in Memphis for kind of creating different gimmicks. I mean, we would, uh, you know, I, Jerry Jarrett well, took responsibility. He, he took two guys that were just, you know, preliminary wrestlers, so to speak, just underneath guys and Stan Lane and Steve Kern. And he, and he dressed them up. He put Jackie Fargo, who we call the fabulous Jackie Fargo, put Jackie Fargo with them as like their manager and created them and, and put them together and called them the fabulous ones. And those guys went on and, and, and did fantastic made some money just with that, what we call a gimmick, of course. Yep. yep. And then, uh, then after that, I was a little bit, I was a little bit jealous that Jerry had created those. So I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to one up him. So I looked around and I see two, uh, two young kids that that were just, you know, on opening matches as well as Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton. And I called them in in my locker room and I said, guys, <laughs> I, I I'd gone out and bought a bunch of bandanas and things like that. And I said, I want you to tie these around your feet and around your arms and stuff like that. And they said, for what? And I said, we're going to send you out to the, to the kiss song. I want to rock and roll all night. We're going to call you the rock and roll express. So that was, you know, that was the things that, that was the things that we were doing back in the day, uh, you know, creating, trying to create new gimmicks. And here's, here's one thing that um, a, a lot of people, probably didn't even or at least today don't realize how this whole how this whole gimmick for James came about at that particular time you know you're always looking for something that's topical something that's going on in the world today at that particular time the president of the country of Uganda over in Africa was a guy named Idi Amin anybody remember that name yep Idi Amin was the actual president of Uganda and he was an admitted cannibal. I mean, he had he had in the past been a cannibal, and now he's elected president of Uganda. And so it was just like that was that was the idea to take to kind of capitalize on this story that was in the news. So um, we I, I never forget got to Nashville. Jerry Jarrett had in his office. He had the big he had. Two things hanging on his wall. Jerry was a big hunter, and uh, you know he had guns and 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 
deer heads and animal heads and things, you know, and uh, uh, the taxidermy stuff hanging all over his office. And two things that he had hanging there was this big African mask and a big African shield. And so um, I had seen I had seen this picture. I'm also I was also a big fan of this artist named Frank Frazetta, and he did all of these fantastic covers of uh, paintings on these covers. And I had remembered this painting that he did of uh, uh, on on the cover of a magazine where this girl was tied up and pretty girl tied up like then she was about to get burned at the stake by a bunch of uh, uh, natives. And, and they were all dressed with the spears and the mask and that sort of things. And then there was this guy that was trying to save her and he's had this gun shooting and everything. So I found that picture. And so I took the, the makeup off of one of those, uh, off of one of those uh, people in that, one of those natives in that picture. And I painted Kamala's face with just white acrylic paint. I painted Kamala's face to look like that, uh, that native in that, in that picture that I'd seen. And we we put this loincloth around him, uh, this uh, like a, a leopard-looking loincloth thing around him. We went out back and back in Jerry's house. He had a hundred-acre ranch-like house, and uh, he had a big pond back there. We went out there. We got some dry ice. We threw some dry ice out into the pond. All of a sudden, the smoke starts coming up, and we told James we want you to walk out about maybe twenty yards into the or twenty feet into the pond, and then turn around and just look at the camera and start walking towards the camera. And so that's, that's how we made this video of James. I also, I, I, looked in, I looked in the National Geographics magazine at the country of Uganda, and there's a city there named Kamala. So that's how we came up with the name Kamala, the Ugandan giant. And, uh, and so, you know, that's, that's, we made that video that day. Uh, we called up, we called up JJ Dillon, who we, we wanted to bring, we wanted to bring James in as something totally, you know, totally unheard of, totally not never seen before. So we called up JJ Dillon, who was over in the Carolinas and we had JJ send us in an interview. He just, we just told him what to cut. He cut this interview saying that, you know, that he had been scouring the world, looking for talent, looking for somebody that could get rid of the king of Memphis and that sort of thing. And, and he had come up with this, this uh, giant, this Ugandan giant. Uh, and, and, and so we, we showed that video of, of Kamala coming up out of that, out of that lake. And we had the interview from uh, JJ Dillon and completely sold out. Uh, the people had never seen anything like it before. And, and James was so great in the fact that I said, you know, I mean, he, he understood what we, what we, had a vision for this gimmick. We said, James, you don't ever use a wrestling move. You're not, you're not supposed to have ever seen a wrestling match. You're not supposed to have ever seen a, a wrestling ring. You know, you're just, I, I said, you're, you're a cannibal from Uganda and you, you just chop me and try to bite me in the match. And that's, that's all he did. And he was, he was perfect. He slapped his stomach and, and he was, he, he was a natural and it was just, it was awesome. You know, when we were first talking about Kamala at the beginning of the show today, and I kind of uh, went over my top five moments in his career, 
in those top five moments, I talked about that video that you put together in, in Jerry Jarrett's backyard because you saw that so many times. It scared the hell out of you when you watched it for the first time. So something that you put together, and it's only about 90 seconds long, but, you know, you know, yeah. weighing in at 300 pounds, Kamala. Standing at six foot, four inches, Kamala. Like, it, it scared the heck out of me. And it's amazing how something that's just about 90 seconds long, you could still be talking about 40 years later. Later. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and that's a, that's a tribute to James himself because uh, he he literally, I mean, you know, sometimes you may come up with a gimmick for somebody and, and try it out on them, and and it just they just don't uh, feel comfortable with it or don't really know exactly how you had envisioned it coming across, but but uh, and then it just doesn't work. But James James worked it perfectly. I mean, he was he was great at it. King, were you familiar with his work before he had showed up that night and tapped you on the shoulder? Never. I'd never heard of him, never seen him. And he, he lived in Senatobia, Mississippi, which is about 15 miles from Memphis. And he had never come around. He had never uh, contacted us to try to work. I, I guess I think he was just so young that he had just all he had worked before were just like uh, little independent shows or something like that around. And, he, and, and this was like the first major territory that he'd ever tried to uh, work in. What amazes me about that story is you see him, you probably spent about 30 seconds to a minute talking to him. You sent him home immediately. Most guys were thinking that they would just be getting kicked out of the arena, never to be contacted again. And you guys actually, like you said, you contacted him the next day. It, it really, it was meant to be, and it really did work out. Did he like the gimmick the minute you put it on him? I think he did. Uh, he never, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, um, that that I knew about him that you know he never he never complained at all and and he and like I said he did it he did it so perfectly and he and he you know he he was not supposed to be able to speak English or anything like that and he he, he always made sure that uh, he stayed in character you know the whole time whenever we were around the, around the shows or anything like that and then the funny thing for like the first at least the first six months every night I would have to paint the makeup on him. I would have to paint his face and the, and the teeth over the, you know, the mouth and everything like that. It took him about six months before he was comfortable to start doing it, the makeup himself. I was finally glad that he, that he did, you know, that he did finally learn how to do the makeup himself. So, uh, uh, but yeah, he was, it was, uh, he, he was just, he was just perfect at it. You know, you talk about the development of the character, but also what happened in the ring as well. By you stepping into the ring with Kamal so early after you debuted that personality and him actually beating you uh, for that championship as well. Like, you know, how important was it that he stepped right almost immediately right into the ring with you? Well, you know, that was that was something that we sort of had our our territory down in Memphis uh, built around. And in 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 retrospect, it was one of the things that made our territory be able to last uh, longer than most other territories did after cable TV came in and after, you know, uh, WWE and WCW sort of started taking up all the major talent. What, what we, what Jerry Jarrett and I started doing down there was um, I, I was, I at that time was kind of in the, in the top position and uh we we had to create my my own we had to create my opponents 
and almost every week, people don't realize, you know, back in the day, you're doing a, a live TV show every Saturday morning, 90 minutes long, and then live matches every Monday night, actually every night of the week, but every Monday night in the same city in Memphis. And so, you know, it was tough to come up with, uh, it was tough to come up, keep coming up with new uh, opponents for me. So I, we, we just had to work it out where I created or we created my own opponents by, um, by doing what we did like with James. Uh, all of a sudden this guy shows up out of nowhere. First night in, he beats me. And then we have the, you know, and then we have the program of, of me trying to get revenge or get retribution or finally winning the title back or something like that. And that would stretch on for weeks. But, you know, what we, we would do that with if we could find somebody that was really that's why we look for so many of the big, awesome looking guys that the people would believe immediately could come in and, and knock off the king. And then the king would have to go back and try to, you know, try to get uh, revenge or whatever. I mean, we did that with we, we did that with so, so many guys. I can't tell you like uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow had just started for Larry Sharp up in the Monster Factory and uh, and, and literally didn't have uh, a basically any training at all we got in touch with Larry he sent Bam Bam Bigelow down you know first match with me boom he goes in there and, and beats me and and all of a sudden we just had we just had this long running program same thing with um, uh, the Godfather believe it or not uh, when he started out with Larry Sharp he told me that uh, Larry Sharp calls him in he hadn't even done one day of training and he had just signed up and just paid Larry Sharp the training money and Larry said Hey, we're sending you down to Memphis tomorrow and you're going to work with Jerry Lawler. And he said, I've never even had a match. I've never, never even trained before. And he said, don't worry, you're working with Lawler, you'll be okay. And that, you know, we brought him down and, and, and that's the same thing we did with him. We did that with a, we did that with a lot of guys because we had to, we had to create our own uh, talent every week. When you, King, when you take a, take a look at a gimmick like Kamala and how successful it was and how well he was able to do in the WWE. Does that give you a sense of pride that you were able to help create something like that? Like, obviously you're proud of yourself in your own career, but when you can put a gimmick on somebody else and they can make a living with it and feed their family with it, like what kind of a self sense of accomplishment does that give you? Well, yeah. I mean, every every now and then you think about it, and you 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 do feel good about it. I, I always did, especially about uh, about Kamala. Um, but I don't know, bully. Probably, I bet you're probably the same way. I never really, when you're in the when you're in that when you're in this business and you're doing it day in and day out, you really don't have that much time to stop and think about stuff like that. You know, I mean, I, and, and especially back in the day when we were doing it, and he was working every single night. Once we once we started the gimmick, uh, yeah, we were just happy that it was drawing, you know, sellouts with James every week, uh, and we were happy about that. But I never stopped to think about, oh, look, look how good he's doing with this, or look how good, look how good, well, this is helping provide for his family. That that just something that didn't that you just didn't really think about. I guess sort of just kind of took it for granted. 
You also mentioned something that I found interesting. Um, uh, lots of younger wrestlers today with uh, with getting beat. Like you could see guys and gals sometimes have a big problem with it. They don't want to quote unquote do the job or anything like that. You're talking about how Bam Bam Bigelow comes in on his first night and he beats you or a guy like Kamala beating you for a championship. Can you explain how important it is for baby faces like a Jerry King Lawler to put their ego in the backseat and allow themselves to get beat because it will turn into bigger business? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think, and this is something you probably guys all see on a day-to-day basis, some of the, some of the I guess, uh, that's philosophy, some of the philosophy of this business has been somehow lost along the way. Um, and, and I don't know if, I don't know if there's different things. I was talking to Bruce Pritchard not long ago, and we were talking about the difference, like what we're talking about now, the difference in the business today and, and what it was like, you know, years ago. And, and Bruce said, King, I don't think there's anything you can do about it. It's just what the business has become. And, and, you know, I thought about that and he, he's right. You just have to, you just kind of have to adapt, uh, adapt to what it has, what it is today or what it has become. But yeah, back in the day, um, and, and, and I, I still think that the, I still think that the basic philosophy is still there and still the same. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a passion play. It's good versus evil. Uh, and, and you want, you want good to win out in the end, but it doesn't always win out. And so, you know, so you have to, uh, you know, you have to let that, you have to let that evil get a foothold. And, and so then the, you know, then the people want to see it get to get taken down. And, and as far as, you know, getting beat or selling, my philosophy was always, um, if you get two guys in a match that are trying to outsell each other, you're going to have a great match. I mean, that was, all, that was always what I enjoyed doing in my matches. I would sell. And if you look at some of the most important people uh, or some of the biggest stars in the business, uh, I mean, a lot of people don't think, you know, when you think of, when you think of uh, like Terry, when you think of Hulk Hogan, I mean, what do you think of, you know, you think of him showing, you know, showing the guns and, the, and the hooking up and all that kind of stuff. But if you go back and really watch Terry's matches or watch some Hulk Hogan's matches, he sold. I mean, he sold probably 80% of the match until he got to the point to where he hooked up, made the comeback, and, and, you know, then the finish and everything. And, and I think that's, that's the key that that's, – that's the thing that is sort of lost today. Matches have become uh, moves and, and high spots – rather than selling and telling a story. And, and I think you're a, a perfect example of that because I don't, when you look at the history of pro wrestling, I mean, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that was more loved where fans had more of an emotional investment than you. And you had that, you know, you had the, you had the fist off the second rope, you know, like you didn't really have to do more than that. You didn't have to do a moonsault, uh, you know, off the top rope outside the ring. And that's why you had such a long career. And like you said, the art of selling, everybody was so emotionally invested. I wish people would go back and watch some of your matches from the 80s in the Mid-South Coliseum. Like, you know, your riots, you know, people wanting to go and help you. Like, you know, that's something that just doesn't happen often today. Yeah, because and and it's 
it's like it's like Bruce said. It's because that's just the way. That's just what wrestling has become. They don't. We we the matches are. Maybe it's because of the fans' attention span is shorter or whatever, or just society's attention span is shorter. But the matches have become so much more fast-paced today that they don't really – it's like there's no time to sell. There's no time to build up that emotion to get to let the fans get invested in, in uh, you know, what they think their fan favorite, their, how, how he's feeling or what, how this is hurting them or something like that. They just um, – it's like there's no time for that anymore. King, getting back to Kamala, how did you feel his run in the WWF went? Do you think he got as high as he could, or were the was there more to do with him? And would you have done more with him? You know what? Once again, I just got to go back to to tell you how how it was for us uh, down in Tennessee. We we were so busy promoting our own territory, and, and when 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 James left and went to the, went up to the WWE, it was like all of a sudden he was our, he was our competition. So we weren't, we weren't really, I didn't really pay that much attention to, to what happened with, uh, you know, what, what was going on up there other than because we were on the road, we were, we were booking our own territory. We were booking our TVs and that sort of stuff. And, and so, uh, I mean, I, I did, I did sort of, watch him uh, a little more closely than I did some of the guys. And, and, and another way is uh, another very good friend of mine. I was just talking to him a few minutes ago, uh, downtown Bruno, Harvey Whippleman, you know, he got, he got put with Kamala and he was his, he was his manager. And of course, Steve Lombardi was the kimchi character. And so I, I, I would talk to Harvey on a, on a, he hates to be called Harvey. I would talk to downtown <laughs> Bruno on a, on a weekly basis and that sort of thing. And, and we would sort of, uh, uh, we would sort of keep up with what was going on. And, you know, it was like, I mean, I thought, I thought, um, I mean, you know, he had, he had, he worked with Hulk Hogan. He worked with the undertaker. I mean, he did the rounds. He worked with just about everybody that was anybody in the WWE at the time. So, um, and, and then one, one of the things that I, I, I sort of lost touch with him uh, a little bit until until sort of after he had that run. But, um, you know, one of the things and, and that's what Bruno and I were talking about is James was kind of bitter towards the end. And of course, you know, he had really, really bad, uh, bad health issues with diabetes, lost both his legs from diabetes and that sort of thing. And and so. Uh, you know, he, he, I know that in the past he had some not very kind things to say about his, his stint there in the WWE, but uh, you know, it's, it's sort of disputed because I was talking, I was talking to uh, Bruno about that. And Bruno said, my gosh, uh, I know he, he, I mean, you you know, this is another thing you'll know, bully how some of the guys are. Uh, One of the things that, that apparently James never really, uh, he never really took care of his, his money business all that closely. Uh, and he, like, he didn't have a bank account. He handled everything in cash and every week he would get his check and he would have downtown Bruno go to the bank and cash his check for him. And, and, and Bruno said, you know, what, I mean, like one of the things that, that, um, that James said later was that he, he didn't make that much money. He didn't, wasn't doing that. He didn't, didn't make any money in the WWE. He thought he didn't get paid as much as when he was working with the undertaker or was when he was working with Hulk or whatever. But Bruno said, man, 
I can't tell you how many times I cashed a $15,000 or $13,000 check for him every, every single week, you know? So, and, and at that, at that time, that was, that was really good money. Yeah. Do you, I mean, since, uh, Kamala comes to you, James comes to you, you create the character, you and Jerry Jarrett, he eventually leaves to go to the WWE. Do you remember what that was like for you? Like, did he come to you? Did he leave on good terms? What was that transition like? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think he went to, uh, we, we had a situation back then where, one of one of we would kind of we would kind of work with uh, Bill Watts and and also the guys the Von Erichs down in Texas and we would kind of trade talent back and forth because when you know when we were running a weekly territory it, it, guys would get guys would get burnt out pretty quickly so um, uh, and and that was the way I was able to stay on top for so long because we kept changing the talent and so I think that the first thing after we had kind of uh, had James run his course for us. I think he went down f- to Bill Watts uh, and, and worked down for Bill Watts, as did a lot of our, a lot of our talent. I mean, I remember we sent a, we did a big massive trade with Bill Watts. We sent him, we sent him Dutch Mantel. We sent him, uh, we sent him Bill Superstar Dundee. We sent him the Rock and Roll Express. We sent him the Midnight Express. We sent some of the top talent uh, in, in the world wow. down, down to Bill Watts all at one time. We just said, Hey, here's some guys we just can't use right now. We got so much talent up here, you know? So, um, and, and one of, one of our, one of an, another great story that I'll tell you real quick, um, was like I said, we're always looking for these big guys that could come in and then it would be logical that they could knock off the King. Uh, we got a call from a guy, uh, a, a big guy that was really, he had been an ex NFL football player. And boy, that always, we that always, you know, lit our minds up too. We, you know, this is a, a great story, an ex NFL football player. And this guy wanted to come in and his name was Sylvester Ritter. And so we said, okay, uh, well, let's see, what can I do? What can we do with this guy uh, that it will kind of give him some instant credibility? So he came down I put one of my crowns and one of my robes on him and we called him King Sylvester Ritter. And we, we said, okay, this, this will be an instant thing. Here's another King coming in that, that he's mad about that. I'm the, I'm the King of Memphis and he's been calling himself the King. So we got a natural, we got a natural rivalry right there. So we brought in King Sylvester Ritter, tried to have matches with him and, and he was just so green. I mean, he was just really getting started. He was a big guy and all this kind of stuff, but uh, he, he, I just, I, and I finally went to Jerry and I said, man, you know, I feel like I can have a match with anybody, but I'm telling you, this is, this is tough. I mean, some of these guys were so green and Sylvester was that way. He was so green. And I said, I, I just don't think I can do anything with this guy. So Jerry calls um, Bill Watts and he sends him down to Bill Watts. And Bill calls Jerry back after a week. He said, oh, my goodness, you're right. This guy can't wrestle a lick. And he said, I'm going to try to do something different with him. I'm just going to make him – he said, I'm just going to tell him don't wrestle. I'm just going to tell him go in there and be a brawler and everything. And so within a month, we hear that uh, Bill Watts has made Sylvester Ritter into the junkyard dog. And, <laughs> and that, you know, that's how, that's how talent like that got started, for, got started for us and everything. So that's what happened with James. He went – he left – Tennessee. He went down to Bill Watts. And then I think, I think it was after Bill Watts that he went on up to, uh, uh, 
that he went on up to the WWE. Last question for me, because at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned Kamala, you mentioned Steve Kern and Stan Lee and the fabulous ones. You mentioned the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, my goodness. I mean, those are some of the greatest personalities, some of the two of the greatest tag team, uh, you know, wrestling. You even mentioned the Midnight Express. Do you think that you and like that Memphis territory gets the respect it deserves for developing so much great talent? Well, I don't I mean, I, I think the majority of people that are true wrestling fans that, you know, re- appreciate the history of, of wrestling and everything, I think most of the people realize that, uh, that Memphis, we created a lot of really great talent down there. But, it, you know, I, when, you, when you look around, I mean, all around the country, back in the day, there, there were at one time, there were 32 different territories in, in the country before cable TV came along. Everybody had their own little location. The promoters didn't cross over each other's boundaries. They didn't step on each other's toes. And at that time, I mean, almost every territory uh, was doing pretty much the same thing we were doing in Memphis, trying to trying to stay afloat, trying to create new talent. I mean, but and when I look back on us, for some reason, and I, that's what I really can't explain, we just had some of the, we were so lucky to have some of the greatest guys and some of the greatest talent either start or come through Memphis uh, early in their careers that it was just, uh, I, I don't know if Memphis deserves a respect for it or whatever, but uh, we, we were just really lucky to have all of these top guys. I mean, you know, guys like that went on, like the undertaker, my mean Mark comes in. I'll never forget. I was just watching the other day uh, a, 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 a little situation that we created on our Saturday morning TV where we we had Dutch Mantel bring in uh, Mark uh, Mark Callison to, as 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 a I'll never forget giving him the interview before he went out. I said, "Look, we're going to tell him that you just got out of a prison down in Georgia and that you've been in there for murder, right?" And 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 it, he said, "I said he said should I say I was in there for murder?" And I said, "Well, no, just tell Lance. I'll never forget. I said just tell Lance that you got in a fight in a parking lot with a couple of guys and now they're pushing up daisies." And he looked, Mark looked at me and said, pushing up daisies. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was, you know, that was the way we, we started different, this different talent. And of course, then he of course come, went on to become the undertaker, but we also had another guy that was right across five miles away over across the Mississippi river. Uh, uh, Sid vicious, you know, I put the, put the humongous mask on the guy. Or humongous. Humongous. We created Humongous here uh, because I was a big fan of movies and fantasy movies and stuff like that. So we created Humongous and the face off between that time was I brought out Humongous to face off against this mean Mark. And and, and of course, then later on, up in the WWE years later, it was The Undertaker facing off with Sid Vicious, you know, but we we had done that years and years ago down in down in Memphis. So we were just lucky to have some really, really great talent come through the area. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 